It is the 200 level episode 95, simply titled Carrie Davis. Mike Carpenter here. It's Thursday morning from the basement, June 11th. We spoke with Carrie yesterday on Wednesday morning, and I asked him right before, hey, you know, is 40 minutes okay? And usually when I say that to somebody, it tends to go an hour, which is great that people are okay talking that long, but this one went for 70 minutes. And as we got done, I had just sent him a quick thank you on Twitter and he even said, yeah, we could have went longer. I'm thinking, ah, damn it. Because I don't want to abuse anyone's time and keep them for an hour and a half or two hours. But to be completely honest, we could have done that. But I think it's okay. We got these 70 minutes here and I know that Kerry will hop on later, probably later this summer as we get closer to football season. And the discussion that we had today is still going to be ongoing in August. It's not as if this race discussion that we're having right now, race, police brutality, that that's just going to be swept under the rug between now and mid-August. That's not likely to happen. And this is a discussion that's timely, but also would probably be applicable five years ago or 10 years ago. But the difference is we just weren't having these discussions out in the open as much, that Black Lives Matter was not as mainstream of an idea as it is now. And that goes a little bit to a question that I asked Kerry. I, I was honest with him and said, you know, 33 years of my life, for most of them, I've been what you call a silent sympathizer, and that hasn't done anything. It's accomplished nothing. So now that I'm like, you know what, I'm going to act, I'm going to do something, I'm going to speak on it, is there any sense from people in the black community looking at a white guy like me, like, hey, I mean, thanks for joining, but where were you? Where were you all this time? And I wouldn't be able to answer that question very well. I would say, well, sure, things troubled me, but I didn't really do anything about it. So the platform for this podcast, at the end of the day, you probably get sick of me saying, it's a sports podcast. It is. And yes, we do have athletes back on campus. We'll get games going soon. And when we do, rest assured, even when Kerry gets back on, we'll be talking football. We'll be talking sports as much as the sports landscape allows us to. I'm excited to get back to that. But at the same time, I am really engaged with these discussions that we're having, whether it be with Trevor and myself on Monday, which I thought was a pretty cool discussion that the two of us had, trying to be completely open and honest about the blind spots that each of us have. But then whether it be with Antonio last week or John Paul from a journalism perspective last Friday or today with Kerry Davis. And out of all the interviews we've had, I mean, this goes from any interview we've had in the entirety of the 200 level or really even back to my days at 93.5. I cannot remember an interview that had as many whoa moments as this one with Kerry. He has many stories that I simply can't relate to as a white guy. Let's just call it what it is. His experience as a black man in America is far different than mine. And this is a list of stories that, I mean, again, many times my eyes were wide as quarters and my mouth was open. I'm saying for the 70 minutes that I was talking to Carrie, I probably had this look of what? for about 15, 20 minutes of it. So if he was really paying attention to the Zoom feed, he was thinking, Carp, oh, hello, I'm talking. Uh, when in actuality, I was just processing what he was saying. But Kerry's always been open and honest. And this goes back to 93.5 on College Game Day Live when he would join Brightweiser and myself, I think for two years. And if I recall, he might have even been doing sideline reporting during some of that for the actual Illini Sports Network. And even with that, he would be honest. I mean, if they stunk on the field, which they often did, he would say so. And that makes it no surprise that just as honest as he was then, he's an open book when it comes to these discussions that we have today as well. Before we get into this interview, a reminder that the 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe, online at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices. They deliver anywhere 
in Champaign-Urbana. So you can stay at home, stay safe, even though, hey, it's a nice weekend. And last time I checked, they actually have a picnic area outside of DP Doe. So if you want to, it is on Green Street on the west side of campus. You can go there and eat your calzone, or they can just bring it to you, dpdoe.com. Also, 4th and Kirby online at 4th and Use coupon code 200LEVEL or the 200LEVEL for 10% off your order. And all year long, even without that coupon code, you buy two t-shirts, you get one free. Fourthandkirby.com. Also, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. That's brianismyguy.com. Trevor's favorite domain name, by the way. Life, auto, home, business, renters, insurance, whatever it may be, they have you covered. And their local products, Champaign-Urbana, born and raised, so they have your local interest at heart. That's brianismyguy.com. Also, Alana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network partners in the, well, like I said last time, it's not the relaunch of the 200 level anymore. This is episode 95. I think this is our 59th or 60th episode since the relaunch, but both Alana Inquirer and Champagne Showers Podcast Network have been there along the way. Carrie Davis, someone who for Illini fans needs very little introduction, but I will let you know that the first time I remember Carrie Davis was the post-Jameel Cook era at Illinois. You're saying, huh? What's that? Jameel Cook, great fullback, and he would have been on the Micron PC winning team that went eight and four in 1999. And if I recall, Kerry Davis would have taken over. Well, maybe it was actually in 2001. Cause I think Jameel cook was still here on that five and six team in 2000. Yeah. You know, the game where they lost to Michigan at home, but Kerry Davis was the starting fullback on that 2001 team, the sugar bowl team. And as much fun as the 2007 Rose bowl season was, I think my favorite football team still to this day would be that 2001 sugar bowl team, because that was, a team that was expected to bounce back and make a bowl game, but not go 10-1. and one. It was a remarkable season, and Kerry Davis is a big part of it. And Kurt Kittner, he loved those passes in the flat to his backs, and Kerry was just expert at that along with blocking, had a long, successful NFL career, and even showed us his Super Bowl ring one time, which Lon was a little bit conflicted because that was the Steelers-Cardinals Super Bowl that he was at, of course. But now is the head coach at Hazelwood Central, in Missouri. What I did not realize before we started this conversation was that Hazelwood Central is essentially next door to Ferguson. So for his own student athletes, they would have been in elementary middle school when the Michael Brown shooting happened back in 2014. So this hits close to home for Kerry, not just because he's from that area, but because of his own experiences, many of which he gets into on this podcast. So let's get right to it. It is Kerry Davis on the 200 level. Back in the days in 93.5 when it was TNJ, Tan Carp, College Game Day Live, we would have Kerry Davis on quite a bit and always one of the interviews I look forward to the most. And Kerry, that was usually from a football perspective, but I'm really glad to have you on because let's be real. I mean, I've tried to maybe keep this a very sports heavy podcast, but for one, they aren't going on. And for another, that's just not what's important right now. So we were talking just before we hit record that I did not realize you actually grew up in Ferguson. And as you're now the coach at Hazelwood Central, it's it's a stark reminder of what happened uh, back, I think, 2014, was it, yeah. with Michael yeah. Brown. And as a coach now of Hazelwood Central, what kind of conversations are you having with your guys? Well, I, I try to remind, you know, I sent them a message um, maybe a week or so ago, you know, just telling them I love them and telling them, you know, this is the, I, I always tell them about being in the right place and doing the right things and you know, surrounding themselves around the right people. Um, and even when you do those things, you know, some, certain things can arise. 
Um, but you you limit your your chances when you are doing the right things and around the right people. So it was just a chance for me to remind them um, of what we always talk about. We had those conversations, you know, daily. Really, we talk a lot of football, but we talk a lot more about life um, and and certain aspects of it, and how to be a man, and how to be young men, and, and growing and 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 transitioning into being grown men and how it is when you have children and when you have uh, wives or, you know, you have a family to provide for, you have a job, have a job to, to do. So, you know, it's just, it's just something that, that we have to talk about often, um, especially in the, in the climate that we have in today's society, just always having those conversations, making sure that they're aware of who they are, <clears throat> you know, how, how others may uh, look at them, how they may be received, whether it's right or wrong. You know, it's not always fair. It's not always right, but, you know, there are certain um, perceptions of, of black men and young black men um, that other other races, other kids don't have to face and have to deal with. So you know, it's, it's something that I always talk to them about and remind them about. It, it sounds a little bit like you're kind of having the talk. That's the thing that's been going around the last couple of weeks that I think white people are understanding that. And I told this to my friend Antonio, who I went to high school with, and he uh, he's uh, he was a black student athlete at Illinois State. He's now a sergeant down in Atlanta. And I told him that for white people, the talk is like the birds and the bees and, you know, right. cute little things like that. And that in the black community, the talk is something far more uh, impactful and far more meaningful. And it sounds as if the same sort of thing the parents would have with their kids as a coach, you sort of need to have that with all, I mean, however many guys you have in your roster. How big is your roster? Uh, we have, my first year there, our first year there, we had 113 kids between freshman JV and varsity. Okay. Last year, I think we topped out at about 104, 105. Um, so, you know, it is, it is a talk. It is, I am sort of a, a another parent to these kids, you know, an, an extra father. All of our coaches are, are fathers to them. We're Uber drivers, taxi drivers, uh, food caterers, yeah, <laughs> you know, whatever sure. we, whatever role we need to fill. Uh, in that day, uh, that's what we do. So, um, you know, yeah, it, it is a it is a different conversation that you have to have. I mean, when my daughter first got her license, we had to go through, you know, the whole spiel of what to do if you get pulled over. You know, call me. You know, just make sure you are you know, and 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 limiting the number of people that are in your car. And and those are the things that you know. As I grew up, you know, we were always taught don't ride with three or four people in the car because it looks suspicious where, you know, some other people may not have to have that issue. It's just something that, you know, it's unfortunate, but like I said, the stigma and the the perception of of young black men in this society is that, you know, at times they're doing the wrong things and and you could be headed off to college, you could be headed off to to go work out, um, you know, going to school, going to work, whatever you may be doing in your normal life. and, And the perception could be, you know, that's a young black man that is doing something that he shouldn't be doing. And at times it's, it's unfortunate. Um, it's just it, it, as crazy as it is. It's something that I've become accustomed to. Uh, and, and when I'm, I'm 39 years old now, so I've been dealing with it and going through it for a long time. I, I my first incident was when I was about 16 years old, and you know it's just it just is what it is. So you kind of it's unfair, but you understand as long as you understand the rules of the game, you can figure out how to play the game. What happened at 16? Was it a issue? Were you driving? Uh, Were you out somewhere? I was driving. I was actually following my dad. Um, and it was, it was, you know, a, a kind of a turn off where it didn't, it was not, you didn't need to turn your, turn your turn signal on. Yeah. Um, so I'm following him. We go, we split off and go to the right. 
uh, and I get pulled over. I get flagged and get pulled over. And the officer, you know, was was just kind of spazzing. My dad stopped. He's yelling at him. And we actually filed a police report about that incident just because of how we were, uh, how I was treated. I don't, I don't, I didn't get anything. I didn't get a gun pulled on me in that instance, but um, just going through that, how he was talking to us, how, how disrespectful he was um, for something that wasn't illegal and had no reason, no, no, no reason to pull me over. Um, you know, it's just, so we, we went to the police station, tried to file a police report. And I think we sat there for about an hour, maybe two hours and no one even came and talked to us. Wow. And we finally just left. So, so you know, it's, it's, those types of things happen where, you know, it, it, you go through, you know, those experiences and you realize even when you try, you're not going to get justice or, or, or be treated fairly. You said something there and I, I don't, I, it just, just stuck out to me. You said in that instance, you did not get a gun pulled on you. Have you before? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Five times. Five times. I've several times. Yeah. I've, uh, the first time I was probably, and this is why I go back to, you know, riding in a car full of, full of people. Uh, I got a gun put on me when we were, I want to say 16 or 17, leaving, uh, one of my friend's houses. Um, the next time I probably, uh, the next four times I was in the NFL and two of the times were in my neighborhood. Um, you know, one time was I was playing for the Steelers. I never drove my truck home because I was still, I, I didn't have a house yet. And I stayed, I lived in Pittsburgh, but when I would come home, I didn't have a home here. So I would still stay at my mom's house. So I would either drive her car when I needed to go work out or my grandmother and my aunt lived seven houses down. I would go borrow one of their cars to go work out. So I had just came back from a workout. <clears throat> this is off season. Um, I'm coming from my, my, my aunt's house. I had just borrowed my grandmother's car. So I'm walking home to my mom's house and gym bag, you know, sweaty. Uh, and I, I'm literally seven houses from my mom's. Mm -hmm. I'm walking home and the police pull up and, you know, jump out, pull his gun out on me and said, I fit the description of a bank robber. What's in your bag? And I'm like, yeah, just get on the ground. So I get on the ground. Uh, he, go, he, My grandmother actually comes outside and like, what is going on? You know, because she, she, she sees it. Um, and he's telling her, get back in the house, you know, so he searches through the bag. He don't feel nothing but sweaty gym clothes. So he realized that I wasn't the person, I guess, that they were looking for. And I was able to go home. But, you know, it's just I, I think situations like that are uh, much, much different than than most people would, would expect. And they happen more often than than others would expect as well. Um, I I'd had a uh, an article written last week uh, bob austinson yeah, great article, article. Yeah. you saw that or not yeah i did um just about a situation that i had in chicago when i was with rocky me and rocky harvey uh where the police you know i'm in the passenger seat rocky's driving we get turned around and, and get kind of boxed in and <clears throat> we actually were happy that it was a police officer because we thought it was there was an unmarked car we didn't know who it was so we were happy that it was the police um because that that meant in our eyes, we weren't going to get robbed or, or something worse. Right. Um, so I'm talking to the officer on my side. Rocky's talking to the officer on his side. Um, the officer on my side says, okay, I need you to take your seatbelt off and get out the car. So I, I reach down 
to take my seatbelt off, complying with this officer next to me. And the officer on Rocky's side jumps through the window, dives like over Rocky and puts the gun to my face. And it's like, what are you reaching for? What the F are you re- Get your effing hands up. What the F are you doing? And I'm, oh, whoa, you know, y'all need to talk. You almost, y'all not communicating. You almost got me shot. He's not, he told me to take my seatbelt off. So, you know, it, it's just, for me, when I hear people say, oh, just comply, you won't get shot. Just do what you're asked, you won't get shot. Eh, I don't know that that's completely true at times because, like I said, that was, I'm thankful that he didn't, you know, have a rush decision and, and, and feel like his life was threatened or the other officer's life was threatened in that moment. He did feel that way, but he didn't feel it enough to pull the trigger. Like I said, as soon as he put his gun to my face, I put my hands up. Um, and I was, I was irate <laughs> once they, once they kind of calmed the situation down and, uh, and, and let us go on to our, our next destination. I'm still wrapping my head around the fact that you've had a gun pulled on you five times. You're 39. So, I mean, I'm, I'm 33 going on 34. It's not as if the age difference is that crazy. And yeah. of course, if you were asking me the same question, I'd say, well, Never, of course. It's never been a consideration. And it takes me back to the first story that you told. Do you think there was a bank robber in the first place? I, I have no clue. I mean, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. And it just but, the reason I ask that is it seems as if eventually five times is no mere coincidence. You know, it's not five separate times that there was a bank robber or anybody that might right. have matched your description. It just seems when people uh, sort of scoff at the idea of systemic, they, they right. go to the bad apple defense. And you tell a story like that. To me, it seems pretty crystal clear that this goes beyond how in your 39 years could you have five bad apple incidents? That seems yeah. like terrible luck. And then I would say, well, it's probably not terrible luck. That has more to do with the wider system. Yeah, I think it's just, um, like I said, I, I, I tend to fit the description, as they say. Um, especially then, I was I was young. I was black, tattoos. I had dreadlocks. So, you know, the perception is, well, what is he doing? And, and then when you get to a point where, you know, you are having success uh, and you're, you're maybe driving a different type of car, now the, 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 the stereotype kind of heightens. So... You know, it's it just something that we 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 deal with. Like I said I, I've had it. I've, I've honestly had it pulled on me five separate times. And and one time I was in front of my own home. It was about I had just gotten cut from uh, Tampa. So, you know, I'm, I'm feeling sad and yeah. down. And I had been home maybe about a week or so. And I went to go get my daughter some milk. It was like nine or 10, 10 o'clock at night. She was still awake. She was about three years old. Um, and I'm sitting in the car listening to the, the end of a song and the police pull up behind me. I really didn't bother me because I'm at home. I'm sitting in my car at home. You know, the car that I had was registered to my mom's address at the time. I was still, like I said, in the off season or if I got cut, I was going back to my mom's house. It was only my second year in the league. So he sat behind me for about two or three minutes. I didn't think nothing of it. He never turned any lights on, never turned any high beams on. So when the song ended, I got out the car and he jumped out and with his gun pointed in my face, screaming at me, you know, what the F are you doing? Who the F told you to get out the car? You know better. I'm like, why are you bothering me? I got in my mind. I'm like, I know you sat behind me 
you've been behind me for about two or three minutes. I'm certain that you ran this license plates to, to see who is in this car and what's going on. And when you read, the, when you ran the plates, they, the address that this car is registered to popped up, which is the house that I am in front of. I am in front of my own home. What, what reason do you have to, to bother me other than that's just what you feel like doing? So there in, in my life, there's been two interactions with police that they end and, you know, just out of, kind of naturally you're a bit shaken up just because for one, you usually don't expect something like that. And for another, especially when you're younger, they're, they're authority. And you're like, Oh God, if I say something now, nah, I'll just kind of shut up and whatever. But you're telling me these stories and I'm thinking the tremendous toll that this must take on someone's psyche. I mean, the fact that, for example, the last story you told about something as innocuous as going out to get milk for your three-year-old daughter and then being at your own house Back to your point that you made earlier that people would say, well, just comply and nothing's going to happen. And, and, and to me, uh, what's really disheartening about the stories you've told and the stories that can, are being told by, you know, millions of people that have experienced similar issues that um, I, I just it's, it's hard for me to put myself in those shoes, Carrie, just because I know that if the same thing happened to me, I would be distraught. I would be I'd go through this complete flood of emotions and not probably know how to deal with it. So how have you been able to kind of reconcile what's happened before and not let it um, affect your mindset every time you simply leave the house? Oh, it's definitely on my mind. I, I, I think you can you could probably do a poll of, of black men and ask them how they feel when a police officer is near them, like when they're driving their car and if a police officer is next to them or if a police officer gets behind them. Um, it's kind of a, a, a fear that shoots through my body and I'm not doing anything illegal. I haven't done anything illegal. You know, all my, my tags, registration, my license is up to date and, you know, it's okay. I don't have any issues. I don't have any warrants or any you know outstanding tickets that I haven't paid, but that fear is real. And, and you kind of straighten up a little bit and, you know, make sure that you maybe now you're at 10 and two where you may drive with one hand on the steering wheel. Right. But you just if you if you if you're on your phone and it's legal, you may put your phone down because, you know, I know some states have the, the, the no text and drive, no call and drive, but some states don't. And if you're in a state that is legal to do that, you still feel like, let me let me make sure I don't give this man any any reason or any thought to to pull me over for anything, because anything could happen. And that's just, it's, it's, it's a real, it's a real fear. It's a real thought. Um, but like I said, as, as, as a 39 year old man, I'm, I'm accustomed to it. I worry more about my children now than I do about myself. Um, just because when people see them, how do they see them? You know, what do you see? Do you see a child or do you see uh, a menace or, or someone that will grow into a menace? It's, it's, it's all about the perception of, of how people see you and how people engage with you. In Champaign-Urbana, you know, we like to think of ourselves, and we are a diverse community, and there will be stories every so often about um, a case that might involve police brutality, but, um, you know, a lot of those things go unreported. A lot of those things aren't going to show up in the News Gazette. Um, What was your experience like as a student athlete in Champaign-Urbana? Did you have 
any situations like this? Or if not, uh, what? how did racism manif- manifest itself in a town like this? Um, I didn't really, I really didn't face any, um, I didn't face any issues with police. I didn't face too many issues with people in general. I, I had one issue where uh, I, I was called the N-word by a woman. Um, it was most random issue I random thing ever in life I mean most random thing we were walking we were on the quad we were walking to where were we I think we were walking to uh cams at the time we we just end up walking through the quad yeah and walking to cams um and I the, my friends Rocky Moorhead all those guys kind of walked off and left me and I'm walking through the quad and I'm like well where, where did they go they left me and a woman riding her bike was like they went that way N word. <laughs> I'm like, what? what? And what was she? Younger, older? Just she's an older you... white lady. <laughs> it was the most random thing. And then she started riding, riding her bike. And this is this is the part where you know, like, you have the the Amy Cooper bill that that, that yeah. they're trying to take care of in in New York. This is the part where it's really it's real because after she called me that, she rode off screaming, "Police! Police! Police!" Screaming for the police. And the police came to me. What's going on? She just called me this. And I I just walked away from him. Like I didn't even give him a chance to to because he was he was more aggressive towards me because you have a white woman running or riding away from a black man. And the perception is this black man must be trying to harm her. When in actuality, she initiated the whole confrontation, the entire situation. This is a tricky thing because I was just watching a couple nights ago. My wife and I watched um, 13th. It's this documentary on Netflix. And yeah. it, it traced kind of the origins of what you're talking about. So there was this movie back in 1915, I think, called Birth of a Nation. And it was groundbreaking in terms of like technical filmmaking and all that. But it was just a virulently racist story. And one of the big plot points was a white woman gets sexually assaulted by a black man. And unfortunately that, and of course, long before that, um, it's planted these seeds that white women can weaponize race in situations like that. So as you are a student athlete and you have this run in, and you have, uh, I mean, college is, let's be real, college is fun. You're a student athlete at the University of Illinois. But do you have something in the back of your mind that I probably need to be careful when it comes to females? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, I mean, just, just because, like I said, it's, you, you should be careful with, with females regardless of right. race. Yeah. You just, for all the student athletes out there, just be careful in, in your interactions with people and with females, you know, people in general, how you treat them and how you talk to them. Um, but it's definitely, it's definitely something that you think about um, and, and you concern yourself with. And, and yeah, that movie that you, you're talking about, the 13th, is, is, was a, a, an outstanding movie because it, it does trace back kind of the, 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 the ideology of how the perception of the black man became what it is through film and, and what the images that people see, um, you know, a black man harassing white women or, or, you know, how, how hulking, a hulking figure and in, in this, this, you know, subtle, soft, you know, intimate person is, is now afraid of, of black people. 
um, that kind of that stereotype lasts throughout decades and, and just continues to go on and go on and go on. And, you know, you have, you know, you end up with a situation like Emmett Till where, you know, a white woman said, this is what he did. And they, they beat him brutally and, and did all of these things to him. And then to find out on her deathbed, she says, well, it never happened. You know, I, that's, that's, that's tough because we as black people understand there are terrible black people. There are terrible white people. There are terrible Hispanic people. There are terrible Asian people. There are terrible people of every race, ethnicity, every gender. You know, there are terrible people throughout this world. But there are also great people of every race and gender and, and, and ethnicity and all of these things. And I just want people to understand that when they see a black man, they should not automatically be afraid because until you have a conversation or interaction with that person, you know, you can't assume that all these people are bad. And I think that's the, the, I don't think, I know that's generally the stereotype. Like, I don't, I don't think every waitress at, at a certain restaurant is a terrible person because I had one terrible waitress. <laughs> I don't think every flight attendant yeah. on, on, on Delta is a terrible flight attendant because I had a terrible flight attendant on my flight to Chicago or wherever I went. I just don't have that 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 mindset, but the uh, the perception when it comes to black people is that, and not and and I don't say I don't think everyone thinks this, but I think there are enough people to think this that we have to have what fifteen days worth of you know protesting because of it, you know, and 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 until people start to understand that I'm a man just like you're a man, and or or this is a woman just like that's a woman. The color of their skin doesn't matter. You have to take that person individually and truly understand and, and respect uh, who they are and how they are. Now, if they if they are you know a holes, then they a holes. It ain't because they black. It's just because that's an a hole. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's just who they are as a person. Um, but but each person is 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 a different person, and you have to take in each individual as they are, as opposed to lumping everyone in a group and believing that we are all the same. So you mentioned the Emmett Till. Um, story, which is just, they cover that in 13th and the image after what happened to him is, I mean, that'll stay with you forever. Frankly, it's one of the more troubling yes. things I've seen to kill a mockingbird gets taught for fifth, fifth graders, sixth graders, middle school sort of mm -hmm. thing. And I remember in fifth grade reading it and then watching the movie and kind of a similar situation where a black man is accused of a crime against a white woman. And right. to that book and that movie's credit, it does try to make a statement, but I distinctly remember in a class that, you know, we had some black kids, we were fairly diverse, but for us, you know, white 11, 12 year olds, we'd watch it. We would acknowledge, yes, racism exists. Mm -hmm. And then the bell would ring and we go home and la di da life goes on. <laughs> so do you yeah. feel as if there is something different going on? And again, I'm only 33, so I don't have a lot of historical context for this, but uh, it does feel observing protest, observing the movement in general, that there is more participation from non-white people than these sort of movements may have had before, which leads me to think that maybe this George Floyd video in particular, they talk about images in 13th and how yeah. powerful images are, yeah. that that was sort of the straw that broke the camel's back here. Do you I definitely do. You sense I mean, that? Because, yeah, because like I said, most times when when people hear or, or may see something um, – the, the question is, well, what did he do? 
what, what, why did they do this to him? He had to have done something wrong. He had to have been fighting back or he had to have been aggressive and, 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 and uncontrol- uncontrollable. They, they had to do this. But when you watch that video for, for almost nine minutes, you see that this man is handcuffed. You don't see the other police officers kneeling on him. You just see one. But you see that he is, you know, detained. You see that he is under control and he's begging this man to get off of me so that I can breathe. And and when you when you watch it, it's like, man, you you couldn't nothing in your brain said I need to let this man get up and breathe or not get up, but at least get off of him so that he can breathe. And I think that was the first time where people can say. That was ridiculous. That was awful. That was horrendous. That was so tough to watch a man lose his life. And and, and let's make no mistake about it. That man was was. I believe he was gone before he got to the hospital. You know, they met, yeah. they they said, "Well, he passed away at the hospital." Yeah, he, he. If anybody's watching that video, you pretty much know that he his life was was taken from him while he was on that street. And you know, it's it's tough to watch. It's tough to hear a man crying out to his mother, his mother who is no longer living. He's calling for his mother, and as a as a any parent to hear that is 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 heartbreaking. You know, for a mother to hear that. Whether it, whether she's a black mother or a white mother or whatever, to hear a grown man calling out for his mother when he's almost about to die or about to die is is I think that did something to a lot of people where they have to, you know, reassess and check themselves and see, well, maybe I've been looking at this thing wrong the entire time. Maybe what? I need to 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 really reset and and see what's going on and, and actually listen. Um, and I think that's what's happening now. People are actually listening. Now, in a month, in two months, once the coronavirus ends and people go back to their normal daily lives, will this continue? That's the that's the question. That's the most important question, because, you know, as a as a black person, we have we have rules that are are said. I mean, there are there are actual laws that prevent black people from growing their hair out of their own head and working or going to school that way. The, the hair that grows out of my own head is, is, you know, I've seen videos of young black men getting their dreads cut off or not being allowed to go to school because they have dreads. This is hair that actually grows out of my head. It's not something that I put on my head. So, you know, it's, it's a lot of things that, um, that need to change. And, and I think it starts with truly understanding and, and listening and, and not thinking that, you know, you know everything, but actually willing to listen and understand, um, you know, what's being said and what's being asked. Of. I had this thought, and this is a totally selfish thought, but this certainly resonated with me because I would have called myself maybe more of a like silent sympathizer. So I spent 33 years of my life and I sympathize with the cause and yet I don't do anything about it. So ultimately I'm not adding any sort of positive change. When I saw that video, it would have been, uh, when I finally sat down to watch the entire thing, and this would have been a couple Fridays ago, uh, I, Something happened uh, to the point where the following Monday when there was a protest here in town, I I felt compelled to do it. My wife and I are are compelled to act now. But I I have to wonder, though, is there any feeling where, you know, the black community is looking at these white people finally coming out of the woodwork? And it's like, well, where have you been this whole time? Or, Or is it an attitude that, all right, we want as big a tent as possible. So, okay, better late than never. Come on in. 
I just feel like I would be conflicted because um, of all the things that have happened well before George, George Floyd. I think it's a little bit of both. I think, you know, definitely happy that, that people are finally seeing all of this and, 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 and willing to uh, be a part of it. But also like, Hey, we've been telling y'all this for, for decades, <laughs> you know, for centuries, like Nothing this new. is unfair. Right? Yeah. We didn't, nobody made this up. It's, it's, you know, I tell people, it's like, I see you're married, right? I see yeah. the ring on your finger. Uh, you said your wife, you were watching the 13th. You all have children? No, no, we have a dog, I, but it, it might yeah, be a bit before we have so. children. But but, but I, I tell people this. I tell people that there is not a man in this world that would tell his wife, childbirth isn't that bad. Stop complaining. Women have children every day. Like, what are you complaining about? What are you saying? You would not go to your wife or no man in this country will go to their wife. You've never experienced childbirth. None of us have. But you would not go to her and tell her, it wasn't that bad. Come on, seriously. You can't be serious. But people will come to black people and tell them every day, oh, that doesn't happen. That's not real. That's not possible. You've never experienced it, so why not give me the same, you know, thing that you would give your, your wife? Why not give me what you, you know, the same amount of, of understanding that you would give a woman that you've never, there is not a man that is going to watch this, that is going to listen to this, that will have the nerve to tell any woman he knows that her childbirth was not that bad. We all know better. We do. So all we ask for is you give us the same thing. Give us that same leniency and say, hey, you know what? I've never experienced it, but damn, if you're saying it's that bad, I would listen. I apologize. I'm sorry that you had to go through that. How can I help? And 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 that's all we ask for. I mean, it's it's just that simple. You know, listen, understand that these things do happen. Don't because it's not happening to you personally, or because you haven't seen it or witnessed it or experienced it, doesn't mean you can't sympathize or truly understand. Because men do it, people do it all the time with with women in their childbirth. So, you know, you have it in you. To, to not go through something, but understand that's all we ask for the same thing. And to piggyback off that, when I was talking to my friend Antonio last week, he, he said something else that really stuck with me too, because I feel like these conversations, people that fear any sort of reform or positive change in terms of racial relations, they might interpret it that, well, you know, the black community, they're trying to like rise above us. When my friend Antonio pointed out, no, we just want to get to zero. We just want to be on the level. And and when it's put that way, I, for whatever reason, the people that would find something like that intimidating, it, when you frame it that way, it I would think it's like, well, yeah, that makes sense. So why would that be an issue? Um, it, it just seems like the, the way that you just put it and the way that he had mentioned that last week in our conversation um, even reframed it for me in terms of, you know, let's say I go to a family barbecue or something and, you know, there's one family member in particular that I know if this, if we had a 4th of July cookout, you know, this would be coming up in conversation. And it's like, okay, now I feel like that might even be something that could disarm, disarm him in a conversation like that. Yeah. I I think, I think when, when people ask, you know, what can I do or how can I affect change or how can I, it's that when you're with your family and you know, you have a family member that thinks that way or talks that way, engaging and having those conversations and, and, you know, some people are so set in their ways, they're not going to change. Right. And, and you know, sometimes it may get to a point where you just cannot be around that person um, because their 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 ideas and their thought process is so so different from, you know, what you are or what you want to become. 
Um, but I think that that it starts there, having those tough conversations with people that look like you. And 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 when you see it, because we I, people tell me, well, I've never seen. Eh, most people have. They just may not think that that's what it is. They may think and initially, well, what did he do? Well, eh, he's black. Or she's black. <laughs> and and that's that's their crime for today. And as hard as that is to to really, you know, understand or 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 see it and and say, you know, damn, I think. I think that that just happened. It probably did. And it, it's as a, as a, if I see another black man or a black woman being, being accosted or, or being mistreated by, by someone, I, I, I can know what it is, but I, I, I would do that for anybody. Not just, you know, if, if I'm at a, 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 a restaurant and, and the boss is berating one of his, his, his workers, younger workers, I I've stepped in and said, Hey, don't, that's disrespectful. You know, that's, you don't do that because that's a younger person because they are, you know, they still figuring it out. You don't do that here in front of all of your customers do that. You know, so me personally, I don't have a problem speaking up and saying, you know, what I feel and what I think. I don't worry about, you know, anything that, that comes with it because I feel like right is right and wrong is wrong. And I think the only way we, we really get better or move forward is when everybody is, uh, you know, on that same wavelength and moving in that same way. You had said something a couple minutes ago, and it just made me think of this old Wayans Brothers movie called Don't Be a Menace. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a line where they, they're they like, well, what did I do, officer? It's like, you're being arrested. What for? For being black on a Friday. And, yeah. and it, you know, I remember just laughing at it. It's a funny line. It's a great movie. But uh, <laughs> how when you stop laughing at that joke, it's like, oh, right, right. That actually, yeah. right. It's right. not it's not parody. No, it's it, this is real. Like, it's it's. It's trying to tell you this is these are the things that happen. You know, you get pulled over. What am I being pulled over for? Uh, give me a minute. I'll think about it. You know, like I I I know in that article that uh that Bob wrote, there was a story from about me when I got pulled over in Chicago, on my way to Chicago on 55, and I was driving in my truck, and the, uh, the officer pulled me over, and he was like, I said, well, what are you pulling me over for? I wasn't speeding. I, my, my, my windows were down. So you can't say that when the tent was too dark, um, you know, I didn't have any turn signal issues, you know, changing lanes and didn't turn my blinker on. There was no reason for him to pull me over. And when I asked him, he actually made me get out of his car and sit in his car, get out of my car and sit in his car in the front seat. Well, I need you to get out and come sit over here. So I'm sitting in his car with him in the front seat and we're, we are having this conversation as he runs all of my information. And I'm, he, what do you do for a living? I work. I'm, I'm driving a Range Rover at the time. I'm the starting fullback for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mm-hmm. I don't, what do you do for a living? I work. Well, where do you work at? Why does that matter? Why did you pull me over? Well, he tells me this stretch of highway on 55 is known for drug trafficking, but it's mainly white women and Hispanic women. And I said, well, I'm neither one of those. <laughs> so again, <laughs> why did you pull me over? And then I stopped him. I said, I'll tell you why. I said, because you saw a black man driving a Range Rover and you saw me with dreads because my windows were down. When you got up to the car, you saw my tattoos and you automatically assumed the worst. And your perception of me is I have to be doing something illegal to be able to afford this car to look like how I look. 
as opposed to I just work. Mm-hmm. What I do for a living doesn't matter. I'm not doing anything illegal. You've ran my plates. You've ran out my license. You've seen that I don't have anything on me that requires you to have this stop. You know, this is, this is, you're detaining me for no reason. And he finally realized, you know, I guess he, he did enough searches and said, Oh, you play football. You play for the Steelers. I do. Well, why didn't you just say that? And I'm like, why does it matter? I told you I work every single day. I get up and go to work just like you. What I do for a living does not matter. So the fact that I'm sitting here with you is is you just proving my point of, of how people, you know, perceive police officers and, and how you all do your job. And I don't I in no way think that all police officers are bad. I, I think I think the 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 minority of them are, are the ones that really need to be checked. But the problem comes in is just like if you're at a barbecue with your family and you hear racist comments or you hear somebody say something that is out of line and you never say something, you're just as guilty as the police officers that see the bad officers doing these things and don't say anything. Y'all, it's one and the same. So if 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 we really want to uh, change you know, how, how black people are perceived in this country around the world, it starts with people actually calling it out <clears throat> when they see it. You know, if you see a woman being mistreated, most people are jumping, hey, whoa, 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 what are you doing? But when we see a black man or black woman being racially profiled, people tend to sit back, ah, that ain't my problem. So I think that's really where it starts at, is people having the, the, the guts to check it when they see it, you know, and, and really removing that person from the situation, whatever it may be. Yeah, there was a phrase that started really going around a couple weeks ago, silence is complicity, that I'd never really thought about. And I'm just this naturally non-confrontational person. So you mentioned the, we've talked about the cookout example when a family Mm -hmm. member says something. and Yeah, same thing where I just sort of keep my mouth shut and turn a blind eye to it because of wanting to avoid confrontation. But what I do find encouraging is it it does feel as if people... um, they are speaking out on it. And then I guess the next step would be, well, what can they do to act? So from your perspective, what are some tangible things that uh, Joe white guy can do in order to actually be a contributing member to this? Because as, as nice as it was for people to post the black squares on blackout Tuesday on Instagram, right? if that's it, that's not really going to move the needle. <laughs> not at all. I think, like I said, I think I, I feel like there are more of us than there are of them. And when I say us, I mean people who, who get it, who understand um, racism is bad. It's not fair to, to mistreatment of, of a certain group is, is wrong. I think you have to make those people feel uncomfortable or ostracized. And, you know, if, if, if there are 10 people at a bar and one of them is a racist, well, all, all the other nine of us, why do we have continue to have conversations with this person when this person does not think like we think? So either this person is going to conform and truly understand that we don't talk like that, we don't we don't engage like that, or that person is going to remove themselves from the group and now there'll be nine of us. And and that's the only way. You have to make those people feel so uncomfortable that they either get in line or they get away. And it's no different from, from, you know, football. When we play, when we run sprints, either you're going to make this time, you're going to, we're all going to do this, 
or you're not, and you're not going to be here around us because we're going to have a problem with you if you don't do what you need to do, be in shape, be on time, be where you need to be, because this is a, a collective effort that we are trying to work towards a common goal. So when you have, you know, on a football team, 53 men, uh, uh, 50 men working on a common goal, and you got three kind of doing their own thing, why the hell are those three guys still here? You know, and that becomes the mindset, like either those three get in line with us or those three get away from us because those three people will hinder everything that we're trying to do as far as this season goes, as far as this team goes, as far as, you know, how we're trying to move about throughout this season. Um, and I think that's really the only way to to engage it is is either you conform or you get away from me. And it doesn't have to be confrontational. You know, if 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 you have a uh, uh, if 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 Joe White guy has a family member that is disrespectful or, or talks in a certain way and you're not confrontational, you say, hey, you know what? I don't want to be around that type of talk. I don't appreciate it. That's not my thing. We don't have to talk. If that's your belief system, believe what you want to believe. But you and I cannot continue to converse and have these top these conversations because it's toxic. And the things that you talk about, I don't agree with. And it's it, it's different between I think it's a difference between not agreeing with somebody about, you know, whether the Bears should keep Mitchell Trubisky or not. That's one thing. <laughs> we can disagree. Oh, he say he's great now. He's terrible. Get the heck. We need somebody else. That's a totally different thing between being a being someone who mistreats people and and a person that doesn't. And and I I, I think you know if you have a friend or a family member or, or if Joe White guy has a family member that mistreats his dog and and dog and and fight is is beating the shit out of his dog. Excuse my language, beating the hell out of his dog. You're not going to. You probably ain't going to deal with 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 that guy. Are you going to tell him about himself? But if that same thing happens to a, to a black man, you kind of, oh, what did the black guy do? You, nobody says, what the hell did the dog do? <laughs> but we always ask, well, what did the black man do to, to, to deserve this? So You know what it kind of, it sounds a little bit like, what, are, are we shaming racist people now? And it's like, well, yeah, there's nothing wrong. Yeah. yeah why why yeah. would and, and And to that point, you know, um, I'd seen some recent polling and this back to the trying to find some actual encouragement in the midst of this, because, you know, speaking with my parents and in that generation that they would have been teenagers through 1968 and the Nixon era. And there were demonstrations then, but the decade that followed was pretty rough. And the difference that they say that they see in all of this is the diversity of the people that are actually getting out there and, and saying something, doing something about it. And to that point, there's recent polling that shows 75 percent three quarters of Americans acknowledge that uh, systemic racism exists and is an issue. And I'm thinking, wow, for this country that, you know, a month ago before all of this kind of unfolded, if you would have asked me, well, what number would you put on it? I'd say, I don't know, 40%. And, and the reason, let's be real, is in a country where we have Donald Trump as our president, uh, it's hard to imagine the same country, 75% of them would acknowledge that systemic racism exist. And a question I have for you in, in you know, politics, schmolitics, whatever, it's what's going on. So we can talk about it. But, you know, Donald Trump is by no means the singular issue here because this has existed long before him. But damn if he is not 
making this <laughs> worse and just fuel on the fire and and just exacerbating every issue by the things he says, the things he tweets, that, uh, yeah, it doesn't add to the discourse. Meanwhile, the rest of the country is actually trying to have a conversation. Yeah, I, I mean, I think he does a terrible job. Well, he does a good job for himself in in. You know, tweeting. He may, everything is 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 political, and and I think, you know, most of us really, um, politics is like politics, politics. Like you said, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 uh, it's a topic that most people don't want to discuss. But I think you have to look at at the things that he does say, and and truly dissect how it impacts people and how it affects people. I mean, he tweeted the other day that that the old the older guy that got pushed over in Buffalo may have been Antifa. Conspiracy. He's 75 years old. They pushed this man, and, and he he fell harder than he actually got pushed. Have you not have you not seen older men and 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 you know the balance associated with it doesn't take much. A push, it, it's hard to keep your balance. And he fell extremely hard. And for you to say that, oh, well, he may be an antagonizer. He may be someone that is trying to get police. That that to me is 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 awful. And I, I think that I think I think that what he says is awful, but what I think is worse, and it goes back to, to to Joe White, white guy at, at the barbecue with his family, when he doesn't say anything, when the other senators and the other other uh, you know Congress members don't say anything and don't call it out, you are you are worse than he is, because you are you are you are you are allowing this to take place. You see it, you in your heart know it's wrong, but you refuse to call it out because of for whatever you know, selfish reasons you have within you, and I think that that what he does is one thing, you know, but the people around him that allow it are much worse than he is. Because you know, if you're if you're allowing it, what you said, you know, silence is is com- complicity is 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 is, um, is is you're you're compliant in it. So I just think that those that that choose not to speak up for whatever reason, for political gain, for financial gain, you know, for, for whatever reason they get for themselves, those that don't speak up are much worse than he is because they know it's wrong. He, I don't, I honestly don't think he thinks anything's wrong with what he does. And no, that's he a whole no. different issue. That's a narcissistic personality yeah, thing going on. That's a different yeah. issue. That's something that has been with him his entire life. But the people that know he's wrong, and choose not to say anything are much worse people than he is because to know and not do anything, you really are. You really have an issue with inside, inside. Yeah. Uh, There needs to be some sort of reckoning when all this is done for the people that basically the people that have aided and embedded what he does, or as you said, are just as culpable with it. And if it's okay, a a couple more questions for you about the NFL, especially because if you think back to when Kaepernick started kneeling, and I remember the discussions on the radio about it, and the text line would blow up, and <laughs> and I would even try, to, I was softening my own position by just saying, well, you know, hey, First Amendment right, he can protest any way he wants to. We can't really police the method of protesting. And then I would stop short without actually getting to the, the meat of it, right? And I, I regret that. But now Goodell comes out with his <laughs> uh, apology video and... Okay, fine. You know, better late than never, I suppose. But I think back to the last three years in the NFL and the way that they handled the Kaepernick situation, a guy that took a team to a Super Bowl. And as a Bears fan, I could say is certifiably better than Mike Glennon or probably Mitch Trubisky doesn't get a sniff, right? 
it, it, it has to be frustrating as an NFL veteran to see, have seen how they handle this. So do you feel any more encouraged after Goodell comes out like that? Do you think the pressure is enough where the NFL is going to be forced to actually be a part of this conversation and contribute to it? Um, I think coming out and, and speaking on it is a step in the right direction. Whether or not they actually follow that up is another thing. I mean, they Colin Kaepernick was ostracized for for taking a knee. Oh, find a different way to protest. Well, what 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 way is there to protest? You know, you you you've marched, you've taken a knee, you've rioted, you've looted, you've spoke, you've done every every single um, you know protest or, or or whatever has has been done. And people will always tell you, well, find a better way. But they've yet to explain, well, what's the better way? What is what is the best way to make you feel comfortable about what I'm going through? And that's the that's but that goes back to the the, the systematic racism and the, the oppression and the thought process that my protest has to make you feel comfortable. That's the 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 the, the supremacy mindset where when I protest, you have to like it. That's not what a protest is. It's actually the exact opposite of that. You shouldn't like it. You shouldn't feel comfortable. It should make you talk. It should make you feel a certain way. And and until you know people truly can can understand that you know what I'm going through and how I how I view life is not the same as you and how I choose to protest or how I choose to speak out on it. It may be uncomfortable, but imagine being me. Like you're uncomfortable about Colin Kaepernick taking a knee. Because he's in the NFL and he's got money and those things don't affect him. Well, I, I I was in the NFL as well. And I just gave you four instances where a gun was pulled on me while I was in the NFL. You know, three instances. The other one I didn't tell you. But the, to, to believe that that you are shielded because you have money, you are, you are, you know, removed from the mindset or the stigma because you are an athlete or because you are looked at in a certain light, and that is incorrect. And even if Colin Kaepernick has never been pulled over, even if he has never had a gun pulled on, he was speaking up for people that have people like myself, people like, you know, Joe down the street that, that, that has had those interactions who goes to work every day and takes care of his family, but it's still looked at in a certain light. So for, for, you know, people to try to change the narrative to fit it to what they wanted to fit, I mean, that's that's just that's that's kind of typical of what we see and how and why we are here right now. Yeah, it's disingenuous. To, and the way that that narrative was being flipped on its head and completely oh, yeah. missing the point of it, not to mention I mean, that. I, yeah, I had so many people. Oh, he's disrespecting the flag. Well, I, if I'm not mistaken, uh, 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 um, was an army veteran. or Yeah, Nate Boyer, who is still Boyer, actively speaking out on it. Yeah, he's the one who said, you know what, you should take a knee. It's more respectful. It's more respectful than sitting down taking a knee and and like i said people turned it around and donald trump assisted with this he he, he called him a son of a bitch he yeah yeah he did and and you know for you to say that about a man who chooses to protest however it is you set the narrative and you set the thing on fire and and poured gasoline on it and made it into you know us versus them and us is not black people it's us who you know understand that there is uh, a racism problem throughout this country, throughout this world, and those who choose not to see it. And I think, I think there are there are races, there are people that 
don't see, you know, don't see it. And then there are those that see it every day. And I think those that have been kind of in the middle and on the fence are like, whoa, hell, what's going on over there? <laughs> what are y'all doing? Like, how how have we, wait, let me come over here and I, I, now you see it with a, with a, with a clearer view because that's so far from the, from, from, from those that have been experiencing it our entire lives that now you're looking at it and like, wait, this is what y'all been saying this whole time. This is, this is, these are the things that you've been dealing with. Yeah. And, and like I said, it's not just police. It's, it's, you know, you can see all types of videos. The lady, Amy Cooper, they're about to make a bill because of her, because mm-hmm. those things happen because a white woman in the park says she felt threatened by a black man who asked her to put a leash on her dog. Who was bird watching. He's the bird watcher, right? That, that's what he yes. was doing. Yeah. He was minding his business. Hey, can you please put a leash on your dog? <laughs> You're not supposed to. It's illegal. Right. And she called. There's a black man. He's threatening me. And that's how Emmett Till was murdered. And here we are in 2020. And, and, and if this was 1920 or 1940, that black man would have been lynched. Because this white woman said she felt threatened by him and she was in the wrong. And I know she she went on and apologized and, you know, felt horrible. She lost her job and all of that. But I mean, I think it's that has to be used when it's when it's an actual thing like to 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 if you are being harassed by anybody, I don't care what color they are, by all means, call the police, call them and ask them to come help immediately but if you use that as a as a a way to it's a weapon uses a weapon it's a weapon yeah and and you're using it to 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 really get a black man assaulted or killed and that's the that's the scary part like i I, i'll be honest with you i've been on elevators with me and just a white woman and i'm more afraid than she is honest to god i am more afraid than she will ever be of me I am, I am dreading this ride to wherever. And Lord forbid we get off on the same floor. <laughs> Please, I don't want to get off on the same floor because now, you know, it's even more heightened. I'm trying to go to my room. You're trying to go to your room. It just happened to be on the same floor. But, but the perception and and how I feel in that moment. I am probably more afraid than she is because if she picks up the phone and says, there's a black man following me, I guarantee I'm going to be the one, you know, in trouble for it. So you mentioned the Cooper situation out in New York, and it it reminds me how growing up in Champaign-Urbana, which is a blue county in a relatively red state politically. So you got Chicago, Cook County and the surrounding counties, Democratic. You got Champaign-Urbana, Democratic and a sea of red. But the, the misconception that sometimes happens is people will look at rural communities and think, well, I, racism's out there. But <laughs> a lot of what you, your own experiences in the St. Louis area, in yeah. Chicago, we aren't talking, you know, Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're talking right. large cities where this same thing exists. So that shield, I mean, New York City, we're talking about Amy Cooper. We talked about how back in the, was it late 80s, early 90s, the Central Park Five. Which, by the way, Donald Trump has still not apologized for his role in all of that and what he said about guys that were proven to be innocent. Right. Uh, So this is not a rural urban thing by any stretch. I mean, I think one thing I I will say in the South, you know who thinks what and how they feel. 
and you know some people they don't like black people you can you can accept it and you can I know that that group doesn't like how I look so I'm going to stay over here right they're vocal about you know, it there are there are I know it like they don't like me I don't like them it's fine but when you go into certain areas and you have people that you don't assume that that's the perception you don't assume that that those people are uh are already have that that preconceived notion of of how they feel about you you don't think that um you don't know that's the part that really worries you or scares you to make you feel like um well what am i up against like i can handle the ones that 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 i know don't like me it's the ones that you know i run into a, or interact with every day that already have that preconceived notion and and believe that i am going to be a terrible person so last question I got for you uh, last week, the Drew Brees story blew up and it's, it's an interesting case because his track record suggests that he's been active in the new Orleans community, predominantly black community. And yet he says the whole head scratching thing about, yeah, I'll never be okay with someone disrespecting the flag. So thereby completely missing the point. Now he yeah. did apologize. I think even a couple times. I know some teammates came out in support of him and said we had a good conversation. We disagreed, but uh, now he sees our perspective a little bit more. But this is where the tricky thing kind of enters the picture in terms of you know genuine apologies, which I, I'm guessing his is. But at the same time, you know it has to be tricky in locker room situations. You got white guys, you got black guys, and you, politically all across the spectrum. How do you think that's going to jive professionally, collegiately, even at the high school level, when you know that there's going to be those different mindsets entering it? I think I think sports is the greatest um, thing ever because it, it brings people from all different backgrounds, ethnicities, you know, financial situations, and brings them all together for one common goal. And I think that if if I mean there is a we talked about you know in the South there or in different places, there is a person that truly hates me because of the color of my skin, but we probably both like the Cardinals. You know what I mean? Right. So we, we both have that thing in common that, that sports brings people from all different backgrounds together. Um, I think what Drew did was, was he just was misinformed and, and truly made a, made a statement that, you know, they, they, you know, you can do years and years of work and one thing can ruin that for you because people don't people always remember the one thing that you do bad. They don't they don't remember. They they have a hard time. And that's anybody that's in relationships. That's in friendships. Yeah. You know, you can be friends with somebody for 30 years and, and you have one hiccup one day. And that's the thing that they remember for the rest of their lives. So um, I think what he did was 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 a, a, he made a terrible decision. He made a terrible statement. I appreciate that he came back and retracted it. I appreciate that he, he, you know, sent a message to the president um, stating how he felt and why he felt it was wrong. I wish he would have done that first. I wish he would have taken the time to either not answer that question or say, you know, I, I, you know, let me think about it because to say, I'll never, I'll never kneel for the flag. It's, it's wrong. It's not about that. It's not at all. And, and I think that, you know, I think a lot of people truly have to understand other folks' situations and their upbringings and their background and, and really, you know, listen to, to what people have been through. I went to a, um, a NFL uh, 
journalism broadcast boot camp a couple years ago. And we were having this discussion. This is right after Colin had went through his whole ordeal um, and, and didn't have a job. And it's a bunch of NFL players in there. It's former players, some current players. And it's, it's some guys in there like, yeah, that doesn't, he's disrespecting the flag. And, and when I told them my story, and this doesn't happen to NFL players. And when I told them my story, the entire room went silent. And to me, it's like, oh, you don't have nothing to say. Because these things happen, whether you see it or not. I've been through it. I've experienced it. I've witnessed it. So for you to tell me this isn't real, what he's doing is, 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 you know, people think, oh, he did it for his own personal gain. He didn't gain anything. He lost everything. But he did it for others so that they could understand that these things take place. And I think the most disheartening part, I, I, I think the most disheartening part about what Colin had to go through is that he pretty much had to go through it by himself. There was not there weren't very many other, very many athletes that decided to take, you know, black athletes that decided to say, you know what, I'm going to do this with you. There was a video that came out last week that I thought was awesome. And that's the reason why Roger Goodell got on TV and said what he said. You had Patrick Mahomes, you had DeAndre Hopkins, you had OBJ, you had Tyron Matthew, you had um, uh, Michael Thomas, you had all these stars, black athletes, the stars, when Patrick Mahomes is on there, the star of Super the Super Bowl stars, champion, yep. Super Bowl champion, MVP, he is the face of the NFL in this moment. When you have him on there, that let Roger Goodell know, oh, this is serious. This is something I have to take a look at. And if those men, and I, I'm, I'm better late than never, I'm thankful that they did it when they did it. But had they have came out, had a group of those guys came out and done it, when Colin was taking his knee, Colin would have a job right now. It's no doubt in my mind because they left, they, they, they kind of stranded him on an Island by himself and left him out there to, to paddle and figure it out. dude. Like we got to, and that, 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 that goes back to what I was saying about, you know, the police officers that are good officers that choose not to say anything. Well, you really ain't that good because you're allowing this to take place to somebody that you, you know, you're seeing it take place and you're not you're choosing not to say anything for your own selfish reasons. And, you know, Colin, when I say he lost everything, he lost everything, lost his job. You know, obviously, he's still being paid you know, through Nike or, or endorsements, which is awesome. But what he did for a living, he is no longer allowed to do. And that that to me is the. It was heartbreaking to watch that whole thing unfold, but it was more heartbreaking to watch all of his brothers let him fall on the sword and not not you know be there to, to support them and and when people that have that pulpit use it in a way just like you mentioned patrick mahomes the yeah. face of the nfl it, it lends instant credibility to it and even locally last weekend uh and unfortunately karen and i were out of town for this but uh, not that far from our house is hessel park the protest starts there josh whitman mm-hmm. brad underwood uh, the women's basketball coach, Nancy Fay, a lot of the DIA ended up showing up there. And I thought, you know, as an alum, I- I'm just proud that they didn't just put out the Twitter statement that they actually put a face on it. And I'm thinking about some people uh, around this area that initially may disagree with this conversation. And then they see Brad Underwood do it. And they're like, well, what? Are you not going to buy season tickets to the basketball games now? Do you hate and, Brad and Underwood? You know no. What? There are some people that won't. A few probably. Yeah. There are some people that I'll never go see a, a, a such and such game again. You spoke up on. 
See ya. There are many people that are waiting <laughs> to, to, to fill that void, ma'am, sir. Have a great day. Have a yeah. great life. We thank you for your support. See you soon. And and that has to just be the mindset. You just move forward and you just go on with it and, and not not worry about those that choose not to get in line. Like I said, if it's 10 of us at the bar and, and this one guy doesn't want to get in line, we, he either conforms or he gets away from us. And you have to make it so that the isolation is so uncomfortable for those that, that choose not to, to conform and, and truly see it that they, you know, you're isolated. You're on an island by yourself. You know what I mean? Like I said, Colin was on an island by himself because people didn't weren't willing to 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 stand with him and 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 really say, yo, this is these things are happening. You have to make those people that are that 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 choose to to continue continue to be racist or continue to, you know, not speak out on it or, or speak in certain terms, you have to make them isolated and move around from move away from them. Kerry, you're a good example of why I, I hate the stick to sports phrase that gets thrown <laughs> out because as much as I love talking sports, and I do, and I can't wait until there's live sports to talk about, at the end of the day, there's so much more going on. And I think that it's really encouraging to see athletes, whether it be former athletes or even, man, college athletes. Luke Ford, tied in on Illinois, someone that I was probably stereotyping myself, did not figure he was going to come out and speak on it. He did. And it was it, it was well done. And it gives me uh, hope, I guess, as a 33-year-old that I'm seeing younger and younger people actually put their voice to it so yeah stick to sports whatever i i that ain't no fun sports statement is only when they uh when it's something they don't want to hear yeah pretty much because when when uh jj watt raised 30 20 30 million for for uh was it harvey hurricane harvey yeah nobody was telling jj watt to stick to stick to sports in that moment they were praising him they were thankful that he used his platform as an athlete to raise funds for people that needed it. So they wouldn't tell him to stick to sports. So it can't just be stick to sports when it's something that you don't agree with. Carrie, I could go on for another hour with you. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully in the fall, it's we're at a place where on a Saturday, beautiful October Saturday, Memorial Stadium, people can actually be in the lots and, and get ready for a game. And, and if you ever came up, uh, would love to hook up with you somewhere in the tailgate lots. But I appreciate it because we had so many good conversations, mostly about football, but um, I appreciate that you have been very honest, whether it be through your Twitter timeline, whether it be the article with Bob, which I'd recommend people read if they haven't already. And I appreciate the fact you gave me this much time uh, on a Wednesday morning. I know we're on summer break, but you know it's it's still great to be able to catch up with you and actually talk about what I am overall optimistic about at the end of the day, more so than I probably ever would have been about any other time with this movement, but at the same time, that's probably because I finally kind of woken up to it. Well, I, I'm, I, we, we're glad to have you on, brother, and <laughs> we go keep fighting a good fight, man. It's just like I said, it takes all of us to really uh, make things change and, and and make things right uh, the way that we we know our country and our world should be. So when we all fighting and pulling in the right, pushing in the right direction, all things will, will get better. Excellent, Kerry. Take care, and we'll talk soon. Okay. Appreciate it. Thank All right. you. Thanks, Gary. Kerry Davis, enough said. Uh, I really enjoyed that conversation with Kerry. 70 minutes long, and we could have went longer than that. Look forward to talking with him again, and I think we'll do that sometime later this summer as we get closer to football season and really whatever's going on with this current situation that we're in. But he was always honest when he came in the air with us, talking about football. And even when he was doing the sideline coverage, he would remain open. So, in other words, if Illinois wasn't looking so hot on the field, he would say so. 
So it does not at all surprise me that when it comes to more pressing matters, he's just as honest about it. And there were many moments in that interview where my eyes opened wide as quarters, like, what? And it's powerful stuff, I think. And I hope that you enjoyed that interview because, one, he's an interesting guy. For another, I think it really gets to the core of what's being talked about right now. These are experiences that I've never had, that he's had not once, not twice, but many times. And when you have it that many times, it just naturally is going to affect your life. Going to the store, like he talked about going nine o'clock at night to get milk for his daughter. He gets back to his own house and then he has that experience. So these are things I've never had to worry about or experience. And I hope I don't have to. But part of the reason that I likely won't have to is because I'm a white man in America. Let's just call it what it is. It ain't a bad place to be. 33-year-old white guy living in the Midwest you could find far worse positions to be in. So when I talk to someone like Harry, I always want to make sure that I'm not coming from any sort of patronizing place like, okay, so tell me about this racism thing. What's that about? I try to be as open and honest as I can, including the fact that, okay, maybe I'm starting to finally act, but for the 33 years prior, did I do a damn thing? No, not really. Being a silent sympathizer didn't accomplish anything. So Thanks to Kerry. We will do that again later this summer as we get closer to football so we can talk some football as well. But just a cool guy that I've always enjoyed interviewing. The few times I've met him out in the tailgate lots, always very friendly. And I don't know, as this is going on too, I was thinking Kerry could be a broadcaster if he wanted to. I know he kind of scratched that itch a little bit on the sideline, but I think he'd be really good at actually hosting or co-hosting a show. So I don't know, maybe. Maybe that's an idea right there. I'll I'll ask Kerry about that sometime soon. All right. The 200 Level is brought to you by DP Doe. Online at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. That's dpdoe.com. Also, Fourth and Kirby online at fourthandkirby.com. Buy two t-shirts, get one free. That's 365 days a year. Buy two, get one free. And use coupon code 200LEVEL for 10% off at fourthandkirby.com. And finally, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at Brian is myguy.com. You name the insurance, they can at least give you some information on it. And more than just being insurance experts, they have your local interest at heart. They're all Champaign-Urbana, born and raised. That is State Farm Agent Brian Hansen, brianismyguy.com. Alana Inquirer, Champagne Showers Podcast Network, partners of the 200 level. We will be back next week. Again, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I love talking to Carrie, and it was one of those conversations that I will not soon forget. Hopefully you won't either. In the meantime, enjoy this gorgeous weather. Get out outside, do something, and we'll see you on Monday. It is the 200 level.